Hello again. Hello to some of you for the first time, but for most of you, hello again. Um, I'd just like to repeat, as I've said the first couple of weeks, that it really is an honour, um, and it's actually with sadness that this is the last uh, night uh, for this series of uh, sermons on peace, not for you, but for us. <laughs> Hopefully you feel the same, but it really has been lovely to be invited by a church for a whole month to come and to preach. It really is a blessing to Lindsay and I, and we take it as a great honour. Uh, so before I begin, I would like us to, to pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for our lives. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you, Father, that you are present here and you're amongst us. Lord, Lindsay and I pray for Ergy Baptist and we, we thank you for them and we ask that you would bless them as a congregation, as a community of your believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, may you fill them all with your Holy Spirit and protect them as they serve in this community, much like the rest of the communities throughout Scotland who, who are far from you and in great need. Lord, guide Ross and the leaders, guide the whole church, and bring them to one mind and one heart, one spirit, as they seek to reach out and make disciples and build one another up. Lord, bring healing to those who are unwell, those who are sick, those who are dying, those who are worried and in trouble, those who have fallen on hard times, Lord, give them all strength in Airdrie Baptist Church. Peace, love, joy, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit. And Father, I ask that as I come to share the word that you've given me, that as I share it with Airdrie, Lord, that, that it would speak directly to hearts and minds. And Father, that it would be a blessing as they continue in their great commission here in Ergy. Lord, I ask that you'd help us all to focus on what you have to say. May any of my personality or words that are not 100% your message, Lord, may they fall by the wayside and may your voice be heard loud and clear. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I realized I didn't introduce myself. For those of you who don't know, my name's Stuart Gilmore. This is my wife, Lindsay Gilmore. Uh, and um, I met Ross uh, probably about a year or so ago, maybe, maybe longer. Um, and it was a, a really nice meeting as we discussed mission in the community. Uh, and it's been really wonderful. It's not the first time I've been in Ergy. Um, you've invited me a few times, so it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, Lindsay and I involved her in two things. Um, we, our bread and butter is teaching mental health, sexual health, education in schools, uh, so our approach in schools is quite different from me giving a sermon. Um, and we are also involved in a mission to what we call the anti-mainstream community in Scotland. That includes people like punks and goths, people who don't like The X Factor and that new show that's on BBC One last night where all the singers, don't know if anyone's been watching that, uh, good idea. Uh, so um, we're, we're quite busy uh, and feel a great call to, to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's also a great pleasure for me to, to share the Word of God and any chance I get, I'll take. Uh, so the last two weeks, we missed last week, but the first two weeks we were looking at uh, peace with yourself. How do we find peace with ourselves, being at peace with ourselves? The following week was being at peace with others. 
Last week was going to be being at peace with the world, and this week was going to be being at peace with God. So instead of that, we're going to do being at peace with the world by being at peace with God. Uh, because that's basically what the message was going to be over the two weeks anyway. And our reading tonight comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 23. You might notice that what I'm reading sounds quite different to what you're reading. That's because I'm reading from the New Living Translation, uh, because I like it in this particular instance. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 23 says, He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ and his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Tonight I am speaking to those of you who find it difficult to be at peace with yourself, you find it difficult to be at peace with others, and you find it difficult to be at peace with the world that's presented to you around you. Those of you who are honest enough with yourself to recognize that at your heart you are incapable of being perfect, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally and spiritually, and you're honest enough to recognize that that actually matters, that it is incredibly discouraging, and that it is a real cause for despair, and that you, by your existence, contribute to the ills of this world. That no matter how hard you try, you still hurt others, rarely deliberately, but you hurt them nonetheless and that your existence contributes to the damage that is done to our world. Just ask Greenpeace of the damage that we cause to our world that God has given us just by our very existence. Recognizing that no matter how many charities you support, and no matter how many causes you support, no matter how anti-crime you are or pro-environment that you are, that your efforts and all the efforts of all the charities and all the good people in the world will not ultimately fix this world. There will always be pain. That no matter how hard you have tried, and no matter how humanity has tried all through history, the world is actually not a better place than it was a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. 
advances in knowledge and technology have not eradicated lust, gluttony, greed, apathy, hate, envy, and pride, all of which lead to the greatest evils, some criminal and some not. And I won't go into the details of the great evils that are committed in this world. I would say since the last few months, I've had a pretty good life and lots of good things have happened and I've done good things and I've had good things done to me, but it does not nullify all the great evil that is in this world. Read the news every single day. No matter how good we are, there will always be evil and there will always be children preyed upon and people abused. There will always be people starving. So, how on earth can we be at peace with this world? What are our options? How do we become at peace with a world that is so disgusting? Ignorance. We can ignore it, which a lot of people I know do. Just go on with it. Self-preservation. Oh, well, the world sucks, so I've just got to look after myself. Political action. Social action. Charity, education, boycotting the bad corporate people in the world. Lots of things we can do. Or perhaps religion. Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age religion, pick and mix religion, ancient religion, Wicca, witchcraft, Satanism. Take your pick. Perhaps you will find peace there. Practices, mindfulness, meditation. Just focus on you and yours. Leave the mess up to others. Don't see the point in trying or criticize all the efforts of everybody else. By the way, that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm not saying that these efforts are pointless or worthless. But the point remains that whether you choose ignorance, self-preservation, religion, or any kind of practice, you will not fix the world. And anyone who says they're at peace with the world without the message and without Christ, as I'm going to explain tonight, is living a deception. Hey, whatever works for people, right? That's the attitude today. Whatever works for you, there is likely a lot of good that can come from this stuff, absolutely. But the overriding fact for me is that none of that is satisfactory. I'm not satisfied with the idea of, well, we just try our best. Accepting that one cannot overcome all this evil I see around me just isn't good enough for me. And I don't think any of the things I mentioned actually achieve the ability to overcome it. I just don't buy the idea that we are an insignificant result of random chance. I have, I've seen many documentaries, um, not documentaries, debates between new atheists and Christians. Uh, and every single debate, the Christians win. Academically, they win. They wipe the floor with these great minds. And all the great minds can come back with is accusations and calling Christians X, Y, and Z, and you're an idiot to believe in God, yet they provide no evidence to support their belief. The idea that this, everything around us came from nothing is baloney, as they might say in the States. And you know, another thing that really struck me recently was we speak about mental health in, in schools, and it's clearly needed. And you know, the Scottish government and education in Scotland are desperately trying to figure out, well, we need to get more people teaching mental health, we need to get more of this, we need to get more of that. And they think that that's what's going to help. But it won't ultimately help. 
Because the one thing that frustrates Lindsay and I is that we cannot talk about Jesus. We can tell them they have an inherent value, an inherent worth, but we cannot tell them why. So we lose the power of what we're teaching. Not necessarily. I mean, we see girls and boys moved by what we talk about, and hopefully we've planted a seed that makes them go, I want to know more about this value that I have. We're able to preach kingdom values, but we're not able to talk about the king. But why are they scrambling about? Why is there so many, so many mental health issues in teenagers today? Because their culture tells them that they're an insignificant result of random chance, even though everyone in their family tells them that they're worthwhile and valuable. They're believing that anything goes, anything, nothing matters. Just do what you want to do. And we say, well, we can't keep telling them what to do. We just give them questions. It's important to ask questions. And so teenagers are left confused and they look at the world around them and they look at the adults in their life and they think, this place is a mess. And the more I worked on these sermons, the more I found it difficult to be at peace with the world as it is. Now, it sounds harsh, but we really do have the freedom to choose to believe or interpret the world whatever way we like. But I tell you the truth tonight, what I'm preaching tonight is the truth. It's not just another option. It's not pick and mix. This is the truth that I am preaching tonight. And you can choose to ignore me and ignore the message, or you can choose to respond to it. You can respond angrily, I don't mind. But I admonish you to not let that anger push you away from the very source that can bring peace to your source of anger and pain. You can respond indifferently and view this as just another opinion, but I admonish, admonish you not to. I encourage you to ask sincerely, what if this is true? What will that mean for me? Because if it's true, it must have eternal and grave significance. And the third option is to respond positively. And what I'm about to share, I think will reveal the results of what happens when you believe the message I'm about to share. God has already explained the state of the world to us. He has revealed to us the problem and the solution. So it's in God's hands. It's amazing how many people who do not know God, and even those who do, who feel that they are so enlightened that they could do it better. You're not the first one to look at this world, see the evil, and wonder where God is. Or to think to yourself, oh, I would do it better. You're not the only one. Don't get above your station. I don't know how many people I've heard say that. The world is in darkness. That's what God tells us. The world is in darkness. Humanity, with the help of the evil one, we have the ones that have turned out the light. We're the ones that have caused the damage. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life suggesting that the world's in darkness and that we need the light. God tells us that the world is in need of saving. For God did not send his world in to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If anyone's got an idea about Christianity that somehow we're naive, like, you're wrong. God clearly explains to us the state of this world. I'm not blind to the pain and suffering. And Jesus shines the light of hope in all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God has told us the state of the world. He's told us it's a mess. Whenever we cry out to God, Christian or not, and say, this place sucks, it's hard, it's difficult, it's pain, why do I have to go through this? God says, I know. I told you. I have told you. It's why I sent Jesus. Because you're in pain. God made the, the world, and as a result of loving us so much to give us the freedom to love him back, he gave us that freedom to disobey, and we took it. We took it. And we made the world a place in which God could not dwell in the manner that he did before. Hence, the decay that we see all around us. Not just spiritually and morality, but also our bodies. Our bodies die as a result of our disobedience. Our mental health, our social health, our earthly decay, our war with our very nature around us is all a result of that initial fall from God. And God has shone a light on this and he's asking us to respond. You can choose to reject it and scurry it away under a rock or embrace it. Can I get an illustration of this? That can you imagine you're just walking along the road one night <laughs> and all of a sudden you hear this noise above you and this light starts shining down on you. You're in the middle of a country road. You know, you maybe panic, right? And I think that's often what it's like for people when they they experience Jesus for the first time. It's like finding this light shining on them and they're not quite sure of the source. And I think there's a few ways we can look at it. One, you could see God and Jesus like a police helicopter. Or, you know, in the States, it's the FBI and they're chasing you. God's coming after you. He's going to ruin your life. He's going to find out everything about you. And so you run from the light and you run into the bushes in the hope that the helicopter will pass you by. Some people just see it as an interesting light, you know? Like they see something in the sky, this light, and they go, oh, that's pretty cool, and then they move on. That's what a mistake. Imagine missing out. And then there's others who are those who eventually put their faith in that light and those who see it like a mountain rescue helicopter where the light shines down and you're lying there in the snow with a broken leg and you're in a mess and you're wondering if you ever see your family again and you know you've got work on Monday morning and you're just terrified and you think to yourself, I'm such an idiot, how did I get myself in such a mess? Why am I going climbing mountains in January in Scotland? But here comes the helicopter to save you. And you are thankful. God tells us the world's a mess and that we need his help. And he also tells us that we would be nuts to feel at home in this world. In fact, we're encouraged to be in it, but not of it. He strongly encourages us to be as far from this world as we possibly can. You know, that doesn't mean you go into space. Now, John 17, 15, he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In Titus 2, Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And in James... He writes, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God knows the world is poisonous. He sent Jesus to save us from it. He encourages us not to be polluted by it, not to be dragged down by it. In 1 John, John writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. 
basically saying you can't love God and the world at the same time. And Mark is recorded as right saying, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? In 1 Timothy, Paul writes, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And 1 John 2, John writes, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. That's why the world is so bad. That's why it is so bad to be polluted by this world. God has told us the world's a mess. And he's told us it would be mad to be comfortable here or think that we, we should set up home here and see this as the only life that we have. And he's actually given us tons of advice on how to live in this world. He tells us to pray for those in authority, you know, those that he's put in positions. Nicola Sturgeon, Theresa May, we have to pray for these women who are leading our countries. We have to pray for the corporations who rule the world, as we all probably know, the oil and gas and the banks. We have to pray for the leaders of these companies, because let's be honest, they do rule. And so we must pray for them that they do the right thing to try and give us as much peace as we possibly can while we are here. They were told to focus on the good and living out a righteous life. Paul tells us, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's telling us to focus on the good that we can see, to focus on Christ and the God of peace will be with us. And in Romans, Paul tells us not to conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, it sounds like a very depressing start to the sermon, but I think it's an honest portrayal of the world. And Christ has come to save us. He's given us a light. He's given us a way out of this place, there is a future. And he tells us, don't focus on this world. Don't be bogged down in this world. Don't be tied to this world. Be tied to me, focus on me, dwell in me, and I will give you peace. That is how you'll find peace with this world, because you'll know that you have a relationship with he who can fix it. He tells us that it won't last forever. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. God has told us that He is the way out and that this will end one day. And God tells us that He's in control and that Christ has overcome the world. In Psalm 24, we're told that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I love this from Isaiah. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And in John, Jesus tells us, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And when we put our faith in Christ and we share in that, because God tells us that with Christ, we too can overcome the world. He tells his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. 
I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And in 1 John, John writes, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. He continues, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And Peter writes, Though he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And John, in 1 John 4, writes, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So again, I ask you, you who recognize that you are at heart incapable of being perfect, what are you going to do? Are you going to remain angry and claim to have a better plan than God? Because trust me, I mean, there's always someone I have in mind when I think about these people that are angry with God and the way things are, and it's Stephen Fry. And I love that man. And I pray for that man. Because he is a man in pain. Clearly a man in pain. And he is outraged at the horror in this world. And he's pointing his anger towards a God he doesn't believe in. He's asking why God do you create a world where children can get an infection in their eye? What sort of God creates that? What are you going to do, Stephen Fry? What are you going to do, you who hate this world and the way it is and hate everything that Christians claim to believe about Jesus Christ? Are you going to remain angry and say, I have a better plan? Or are you going to turn to the very person who can satisfy that pain that you feel? God loves Stephen Fry. God loves everyone. Everyone. He shares the pain. He's cried more tears for those children with their diseased eyes than Stephen Fry ever has. Jesus died for them. Jesus died to fix this world. He died to fix me, and I needed fixed. And he fixes me every day. And he loves Stephen Fry. He loves the new atheists. He loves the Hindus and the Muslims and the Buddhists and the Satanists and the witch people who are into witchcraft. He loves them all. And he wants to fix everyone. And he has done through the cross. So we can remain angry at the very person who can fix us. Or we can beg him to help us understand. Crying out, God, why? Give me an answer. Give me your presence. Give me your peace. Save me from this world. Are you going to remain indifferent? That's your other option, right? Claim not to know. To say, oh, I'm open-minded. Oh, I'm open-minded. Well, I've heard that. I need to also hear what these guys have to say. When the truth is staring you in the face, what are you going to do? Are you going to respond, confess, repent, cry out? You know, I was speaking to our, what we consider, our, I suppose he's our pastor, our pastors, Mike and Mary Sayers, who came with us a few months ago when we came. Um, and we were talking about people, young people who preach <laughs> and how they seem so angry and judgmental. Um, and, you know, they were saying it's maybe they're just whatever, trying to explore the reason. And I think a lot of the times the reason I get angry when I preach and speak so vehemently when I preach is because I know just how much pain there is in this world, and I still feel it. 
and I'm still not that far from my conversion. I mean, it has been a long time. But I'm not 60 or 70 and have had lots of experience of learning to be more gracious and merciful and so on and so forth. But I just cannot help myself but get angry at the way the world is and, and get so passionate about what Christ has to offer every single one of us. So allow me to introduce some grace and mercy and some peace because that's what I believe. I believe in a Christ that loves and gives joy and unconditionally loves us, who's always there for us. And who better to speak on his behalf than himself <laughs> and his word? And here you might think this is a strange one to say after all I've just said, but Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Seems contradictory to what, I'm about, what I've been saying, right? I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. It seems harsh, right? It seems harsh, and it seems to contradict everything I've been preaching the last few weeks, right? Peace with yourself, peace with your world, peace with each other. What Jesus is basically saying here is, which side are you going to fall on? Because we all know the world is evil and messed up, if we're honest. I don't buy these people that say, oh, we're all really good at heart. Yes, we have the image of God in us. Yes, we can do good. But we're all inclined to do the wrong thing. And Jesus is basically saying, look, I am the truth. I am the light. I am the way. I love you. I cried for you. I died for you. Which side are you going to be on? And maybe some of you are in families who are not all Christian. In fact, they're very likely. And that's, you'll notice the division. I mean, I have friends that I don't see anywhere near as much just simply because they drifted away because Christ takes you in a path that they don't want to be on. And you have a light that makes them uncomfortable. No matter how hard you try, people don't like when you follow Christ. And it's a fear that somehow you're different now and that you're not going to judge them and so on and so forth. But Christ came to say, look, you can stay in this world, be angry at it all you want, and ignore me and do whatever you want, or you can follow me. You're for me or you're against me. And so when you see that light, do you see it as the police helicopter coming to ruin your life? Do you see it as just an interesting light in the sky that might be worth talking about a wee bit? Or do you see it as a life that's going to save you from all the pain you might experience? God has made it black and white. You choose him or you reject him. But before you get angry and see God as a tyrant, just think about what he's doing. He is so angry with the great evil that exists that he is giving you an out a chance to get out before he destroys all of this finally. And what he has done 
is beautiful. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts know the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Turn to Jesus and trust him. Have your wounds healed. Receive his peace. Have assurance. Let your heart not be troubled. Have a relationship with the one who has overcome the world. Receive the Holy Spirit that will intercede for and comfort you. And have all things work out for your good. There is no more important thing a person can do in this world than be reconciled with the God that created them. And while it's a heavy sermon, know that Lindsay and I experience great joy in Christ, peace, reassurance through the hard times. I have a mother who lost a daughter at six years old and God brought her through, and my dad. I have a dad that died of cancer too early and God brought us through. Lindsay and I had two miscarriages, and God brought us through. Our little girl, just eyes went up into her head during the week, and God gave us peace, and she's fine. God is good. Do not reject Christ. He loves you. And any pain you feel in this world, God feels it more. He wants you. He loves you. And for those who are not Christian, then that's a great message. But for those who are, what a great reminder of how good God is. And that when he saved you all those years ago, the way he felt for you then is the same way he feels for you now. Praise Jesus. He's the light of the world and he can change your life. Amazing. Amen.